Hello, and welcome to the next episode of Teaching Restored, where we help teachers of all kinds teach, learn how to teach the restored gospel of Jesus Christ to bring others closer to their savior, really, is what it is. I'm Kevin Jones. I'm Julie Hilliard. And today we get to hear something pretty special from you, Julie. Well, I don't know if it's special or not. Well, I think it's pretty special. Well, it could be special or it could be special. (laughs) Are they spelled differently? Are those two spellings different? They have totally different meanings. I thought so. And it's the tone of your voice that special or (laughs) okay so i'm actually really excited to talk today a little bit about a paradigm of teaching and it's something that i feel really passionately about it's like one of the topics that is like in my heart and soul and i've really thought about over years and years and years if that makes sense and just this past year i really started to bring it into teaching a little bit And it's been helpful to me. And I kind of say specifically to one of the classes that I'm teaching right now, I'm like, are you going to throw up in your mouth yet? Because I've talked about this so many times. And shockingly, none of them vomit. No one. No one is. Not even one. Not even one time. And so I actually love it because they absorb it and want more of it. And so maybe it could be helpful to all of us. So let's talk about it. Does that sound Good. good? I'm excited to learn this. Let's do it. Okay. So one of my very favorite quotes that Stephen Covey used all the time, and I may have even like thrown out just like as a side quote at some point on a previous episode, I can't remember, is by Viktor Frankl. And if you'll remember, Viktor Frankl was an Austrian psychiatrist that was imprisoned in the death camps of Nazi Germany. And he really kind of dialed in to this idea that of all of the things that were taken away from him and all of the things that could be taken away from us, there is a last of the human freedoms that no one can touch. It is a God-given gift, and that is our freedom to choose. And we use gospel language for that, right? We talk about agency. We've even talked about it as free agency. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, but it is a gift for us. And I think when we talk about free agency, we're not talking about the fact that there's no price, but we're talking about the idea that it is a gift that is given everyone. And this quote kind of encapsulates why that is such an important principle of the gospel without using gospel terms. And he says this, I have a diagram that we'll start with, if you'll put it up, Kevin, please. There we go. So this is his quote. And he says, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And so stimulus is something that happens to you, right? Mm -hmm. Or happens external to you. And then your response is what you do in reaction to that. So between what happens to you and your response to it, there is a space. And in that space lies our power and freedom to choose our response. So we'll go ahead and do the next build. And in those responses lie our growth and our happiness. And I think that we would, like, if you think about the principle of agency, which is kind of like this freedom to choose that exists in this space between what happens to us and our response to it. Why would you call that an opportunity for growth? Well, right off the top of my head, what I would think is that 
when, when there's a stimulus, if I've had that same stimulus before and I've made a choice and it's and uh, one that doesn't bring out a good response or have a good ending, then I know that <clears throat> maybe I should make a different choice next time. Okay. Right. And so that's kind of how the gospel works, right? That we do something, learn something, and then we're like, ooh, what's the word? Repentance, right? Make mm -hmm. a little to try again to do better next time and that our growth in that regard our growth in understanding of the principles of the gospel happens line upon line that happens step by step it happens as we exercise the space between stimulus and response you right. can't have growth in a silo or in inaction like you can't you can't fence it Growth comes when you actually exercise or react in response to what you understand about principles of the gospel. Sure. So it's applying, it's application. So in that space is the application of gospel principles. So I want you to think about what goes into that space. Sometimes the space between stimulus and response is itty bitty. Right. Does that ever happen to you as a parent? Do you have itty bitty? No, never. No. Okay, never ever that happens to you as a parent. Does it ever happen to you when you're playing pickleball oh and you make goodness. a I'm relating to something else, Kevin, that I know you're passionate about. <laughs> oh, I, I was just thinking about it the other days. How sometimes do we respond so quickly to the pickleball flying at you? And you've got you've got you've got to defend yourself with your with your paddle. All right. Okay. My ninja skill reflexes are shorter than yours. Yours are better. I've seen but yours. Yeah, that sometimes we have these instantaneous responses to a stimulus. And it's like a knee-jerk reaction. Sometimes right. that's a great thing because it protects us. And sometimes it's actually a terrible thing because unfortunately our knee-jerk reaction may reveal something about our inner self that right. is favorable. There's this quote by C.S. Lewis that talks about rats in the cellar. And it says, if you go into the cellar and you turn on the light, you might see some rats go, tick, 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 right? Mm -hmm. But the suddenness of your entrance in there didn't create the rats. It just prevented them from hiding because there wasn't enough time. And so it says kind of in the same way, the suddenness of the provocation does not tell us, you know, oh, 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 wait, I, you know, oh, I, I couldn't collect myself. I couldn't, whatever. The suddenness of the provocation actually teaches us more about what we're really like. Because we put a lot of effort into trying to control or tame our reactions, particularly as members of the church, wouldn't you say? Uh, yes, I would. That, that's a great way to portray that. Yes. Okay. So <clears throat> our goal is to make the space bigger. We want to have more freedom, more opportunity to, to choose our responses by kind of stretching the space a little bit and being a little bit more wise in how we respond to things. And so I want you to think about what first comes to your mind when I ask you, okay, so what lies in the space? Like what determines or contributes to your ability to use that space between stimulus and response wisely? I would say right off the top of my head again, I would say my emotional state or okay. an emotional feeling right off the bat of something happens, the emotion gets in the way or or maybe prevails in a good way i guess it could be good or bad but right, right. there's an emotion there and then sometimes i have to check it with 
other emotions or logic or facts or whatever it is. But I think the first thing that comes and hits me is emotion. Okay. So I actually want to argue with that idea. Great. Okay. So back out a little bit farther. I want you to think about maybe can I, I'm going to give it a different label. I'm going to kind of skew what you said just a little bit to make okay. a point, And then I'll tell you why I refute what you just said. Okay. So I think that your emotion actually doesn't happen based on the stimulus alone. Your emotion happens related to something else that we'll talk about in just a minute. Okay. However, though all of those things that kind of happen quickly are in large part the product of your history, something sure. that's happened. So maybe earlier in that morning, you were more grumpy. So let's go with kind of that type of an emotion. Oh, you just assumed that I was grumpy in the morning? Is that? Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm projecting. I'm so I don't know. But like the idea that there's something that went on earlier that's still playing out. So history, right? Sure. So like, I'll give you another example and then see if you can come up with some more. Another example is like how we were raised, the way that our parents taught us to respond mm -hmm. to them, the way that our parents talked to us oftentimes, you know, kind of determines some of our quicker reactions. What other types of things go into that space? What else does that make you think of? The, how, how about, and I don't know if this is correct, but we'll find out is the context in which the stimulus came. So if the stimulus came from one person compared to another person, I would different histories with those people, right? Oh, that was so good. That is so good. Like, for example, one person can say something to you and you're like, oh, thank you. And another person can say it to you and you're like, what a jerk face. Right. <laughs> it could be the exact same thing, right? Yeah. And so your history with that person, potentially. Or maybe what if it's a stranger and your initial judgments of them? Maybe. What is that noise? You can hear that? Okay. Somebody's shaking. Yeah, hold on. This is a pot, again, real life. Funny, real life. Huh? Hold on. It's actually okay. It's not bothering me that much. Did you just have to close the window? Is that what that was? My family decides all of a sudden to use the blower around the house. Don't so, worry, my son's playing the electric guitar downstairs. I made him do it in the basement. I think that would sound a lot better than the blower. He's, it depends on who's playing it. But yeah, if he's playing it, it would sound a lot better. <laughs> we might have some really good background noise. Okay, so I want to give a couple of words, kind of categorical words to what we're trying to describe here. The things that go into what determines that space. There are two specific things. One of them, the first one, is how we perceive what the stimulus is. So it's how we see it. Okay. And so if you want to put that up on the slide, that would be great. And this, another word for this is our paradigm. And so sometimes when we talk about a paradigm, it's a little bit easier for us to extrapolate maybe some of the things that actually create our paradigm. Um, one of the things to remember is that no two people see things exactly the same, sure. right? So you and I can have the exact same stimulus. Mm -hmm. We can perceive it totally differently. And one of the words that I love to use for this, and it comes from um, Crucial Conversations, which we've, I've briefly mentioned before, is that we write a story about the stimuli. And so our story is based on a lot of things, but it is just that. It's a story. It's not necessarily the truth. 
And so one of the things that I've kind of started to pull in to my classes that's really been an interesting thing is this idea that what we see, the story that we write, isn't always true. And we're like, wait, but the gospel, like if it's informed by the gospel, it must be true. And we're like, well, hmm. could possibly write a story about the gospel. And then that leads to a discussion of, is there such a thing as absolute truth? So let's talk about it for just a second. Okay. So there's a scripture that goes along with this idea that what we see influences the decisions, the choices that we make. Do you, we put up that scripture really quickly? It's Helaman 1430. Okay. And I want to be open to it because there's more to it than just this one little phrase. But in Helaman 1430, about halfway down, it says, for behold, ye are free. And so we're talking about agency here, right? Ye are permitted to act for yourselves. For behold, God hath given unto you a knowledge. Okay, so a knowledge, what do you think a knowledge might be? What, what is that? God hath given unto you a knowledge. How about and maybe... Yeah, how about maybe the spirit of Christ okay. that all men are born with or just a basic knowledge of life? Okay, so I think you're nailing it here. Okay. So a knowledge can be a couple of things. I think it has to do with, this is gospel according to Julie because the other people could interpret this differently. Sure. But I think it has to do with the fact that he's given us principles of the gospel. He's given us covenants. He's given us commandments. He's given us all of these things to try and help us both understand and stay on the covenant path, stay in Hesed with him, stay in covenant relationship with him. But we have to have information to process principles of the gospel, the scriptures, prophets and apostles, and what they teach us, all of that to help us make choices accordingly, right? Sure. So they form our choices in a way. But even more important than that is the spirit. And so if you think about it, when you talk about the light of Christ, what we're talking about here has to do with the spirit, right? Sure. And so when we talk about there being such a thing as absolute truth, heck to the yes, there is. <laughs> we always have access to it. And the answer is actually not really, not by ourselves. Through the spirit, mm -hmm. we have access to absolute truth. And so our perception, our paradigm has to be informed by the spirit gotcha. in order to give us access to absolute truth. Makes so sense. Let me, let me ask you a question though. Okay. So is, can you, Kevin Jones, learn a principle of the gospel and I hear the exact same words and learn a principle of the gospel and we are both seeking the spirit. So we're seeking access to absolute truth. And can we still understand it differently? I would say yes, because it may be in different contexts. Okay. So is it possible? So different contexts. Is it possible, for example, that you read a scripture once and you understand it one way, and then you read it again and you understand it a different way? Happens all the time. Happens all the time. So different context could actually be that you are in a different place. You mm -hmm. are prepared differently to receive more light and truth. And so we actually write stories that are informed by the spirit as it relates to gospel principles. So 
part of the reason that I make this point, and I'm going to tell you three reasons that this is an important paradigm at the end, but alluding to one of them is the idea that we need to be open to the fact that other people may interpret principles of the gospel differently than we do. Mm. And they may apply them differently than we do. And neither one of us is wrong. Gotcha. Fair enough? Yes. You agree with that? Yes. Okay. Any thoughts on that so far before I go on to the second thing that's in the space? Well, my, my thoughts go to all the times that I interpret it, interpret anything in the gospel and I hear someone do is act or act on their version of what they understood. And I'm like, well, you know, that's, <laughs> that's not quite the right way to do that. But, uh, you know, I guess, uh, you got to do what you got to do and you do your own. And, and sometimes so, I have to admit, sometimes I think, <laughs> well, mine is a little bit superior than that, but, uh, they'll learn someday. Right. <laughs> Kevin, that's honest. Yeah. That's I, honest. All do that. We all right, make. I know, and we shouldn't, unfortunately. But but you're right. At all those times when we think they're living the gospel the way they understand, and I'm living the gospel the way I understand, is mine better or is there better or is there just different ways of doing it and thinking about it? And that's that's kind of one of the struggles I have every now and then is okay, which one is better or which one is right or how do I know the difference between whether it's right and wrong or it's just a different way of looking at it? So, you know, that's such an interesting thing because, and what you're describing is so natural man-esque, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, we all do this. We filter other people's behavior through our lens, our paradigm, and make judgments right about whether how well they're doing it. And it's not that we're like being judgy people. Part of it is that we just filter our environment sometimes to you know make sense of it. Mm -hmm. However, part of what we know better than to do is to attach some kind of judgment about the person to it. And so it's such a kind of a good checkpoint, in my opinion, to give that like to have this really sink into our hearts that other people can see it differently and still be right. Right. And what you're talking about this comparison where sometimes we kind of bump ourselves up against other people's behavior to see how well we're doing. And sometimes we put ourselves down as a result of that comparison. And sometimes we elevate ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's such an interesting thing because we know that it's never a vertical comparison when it comes to heavenly father it's or right. excuse me horizontal i said it backwards yeah i know what you mean it's always vertical it always is a comparison <clears throat> with ourself am i making progress but somehow some way it's so natural for us to make that horizontal and so when we stop judging other people's or comparing other people's responses to what they understand about gospel principles to our own it frees us up to actually learn from what they're doing and learn from like what's going on around us and give them space to like educate us. Right. It puts us in a more humble position. We stop thinking about ourselves or inserting ourselves into their scenario by making a comparison. We keep ourselves out of it and then we figure out how to love them in their scenario in whatever space they're in. I totally sense? get it. Yeah, I, I can totally, as you're saying that, I can relate it to so many different things that I have been through that that I just think naturally, uh, as as you're saying that, that's, yeah, 
Incredible. Okay. Okay. So it resonates. I'm so glad. So then the second part of this is actually really interesting. It has to do with our feelings. So if you'll put up feel here, okay. in that we are not robots. We don't just take in information and process it. We actually take in information, we process it, and then it creates a feeling. And so there's a scripture that goes along with this that uses the word will and pleasure. And it's in Alma chapter 12, verse 31. Okay. Okay, so let's pull it up. All Alma right. 12. 31. And again, we're going to go partway through the verse. Um, so it says that we are placed. So he's talking about the idea that he's given commandments unto men, right? Mm -hmm. And related to things temporal. It says the first commandments as to things which were temporal and becoming as gods, knowing good from evil, placing them in a state to act or placed in a state to act according to act according to their, their wills. wills. And pleasure. pleasures. So it means we can actually have some feelings here, hmm. right? And so we talk often <clears throat> about aligning our will with God's. It means like, what does that mean to you? What does it mean to align your will with God's? To first understand what his will is, his, his desire is, and then okay. act with the same desire. Okay. So let's push a little bit on that though. Okay. So to align, so we have to know something about what his will or desire is for us. Right. Right. But then I think we skipped a step if we jump straight to, and then acting upon it. I think it's more than that. Like, no. do, do you have any thoughts? I mean, is it more than that? I'm trying to pull something specific out, which is actually a manipulative way to teach. So let me tell you what it's I'm a, <laughs> You manipulate me all the time, Julie. I'm used to it. Go for it. No, just, kidding. just kidding. What I'm trying to get at here is that we have to figure out how to understand God's will so deeply that we want it. Oh, okay. Like, sure. Like, I think we can't, we try often to understand what God wants. And then we try and force ourselves to fit into it. Okay. Versus understanding it and feeling a desire to, to align with it. Meaning that like we want it, we want what he wants. Okay. And, and so part of that goes back to the paradigm. Like if we're putting on gla Jesus glasses, so to speak, and trying to see things as the savior sees them, part of what we come to understand better as informed by the spirit is what he desires, not only for us, but for other people. And so we have to understand it so deeply okay. that we desire that same thing. And I think yeah. sometimes we try to make the leap between just, we know it and then we do it. Sure. Like, you know, does that make sense? Yes. Yes, it does. So then when we talk about our feelings here and acting according to our wills and pleasures, I love that the word pleasure is in here as well, because there is something so joyous about the feel, like the feeling that comes as we live the principles of the gospel and come to really internalize them, I think is part of what's being insinuated here that like we will be acting according to not just the robotic appropriate response here, 
but we are acting according to what brings us joy and what we love and what we want and what we desire. So let me bridge a little bit of a gap here. If can you I, look at this program, oh, go ahead, please. Can I, can I ask a question in there? And, it, I, yes. and I apologize for interrupting that because that's, that's fabulous, but I just need to try to understand this a little bit more. So yes. when, when I see pleasures, according to the wills and pleasures, the thing, and tell me if this is more in tune with what you're talking about, or if it's way out there, or if it's just a different way. Yeah. There, I, I could see God's will being in once in, in one way, an end state. We, I want this. And then how we get there can be several different ways. And so we do it according to our pleasure, the way as long as it's within, you know, parameters, of course, but right. your, your pleasure would be different than my pleasure of how to get to the end goal. Oh, so I love that. is that, is that correct? Oh, or hundred percent, hundred percent. Like what I'm trying to kind of articulate and not doing a super good job of really, to be totally honest with you, is that it's however is natural for us. Like, okay. does that make sense? Yes. And that's yes what I mean by pleasure, where I say that's bringing us joy, like being somebody that you aren't or trying to fit into a mold that isn't you never brings you joy. And so I love how you just articulated it, that you're doing it in a way that's natural for you, that like feels like you, that's good right. for you. And it may look different than someone else. Okay. Good. I love that. Yeah. Great. Okay. So a really, really important point has to do with what we have control over in this model. And so my question is, do you have control over your feelings? Wow, that's loaded. <laughs> that, is, that is a loaded question. I would say yes, but at times I would say no, because okay. sometimes I battle my feelings. I, I feel one way and I'm like, dude, you know, grow up, put some big boy pants on here. I should yeah. not be feeling that knock it off, but you know what? I'm feeling it. And that's just the way it is. And over time, over time, I have learned to, in certain circumstances, control those feelings and change those feelings. So yes and no. So yes and no. Okay. That's a really, that's a very, I think everybody would probably answer in a similar way or a okay. lot of people would. Right. Sure. So I was giving a, a talk the other day and was talking about this specifically. Um, and I had a lady, when I got to that question, she's like, oh, I got to talk. Like I feel, and it was a keynote and I invited participation. Like okay. I was so, because she was, she's like, I got to say something. And then she bore a solid testimony about controlling your feelings. Mm. And I, you, my opinion is that you can't. You, you can't don't control, control your feelings. So explain. Let me explain. Okay. If you go to the next slide, if you would, please. Yes. There are two things in this model over which you have control. Okay. And the first is what? Did I do that do, right? Uh, it's coming. Oh, wrong one. There were two slides. Oh, Did yep. Yep. Let me see if I can just go through this. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Okay. So let me actually tell you that one of the things that I think everybody knows is that we have control over our response, right? Right. Okay. We also have control over how we see things. We have control over the story that we write. So now you can do the fireworks. 
Okay, so the two things over which we have control in this model are our stories and our response. Okay. Okay. We do not have control over our feelings. Our feelings mm. are direct results of our stories. And so we spend a lot of time trying to control our feelings. Like you try, like what you were describing, you will yourself to feel a different way, but you cannot feel differently until you write a different story about whatever it is. And so your, your feelings are a direct result of the story that you've written. Okay. Okay. Does that resonate with you? Tell me your thoughts. Yes, it does. I am thinking of a particular feeling that I have in a particular circumstance that is not very favorable overall. And I can see that the way I see and the way I, the way I view the whole thing is not the most healthy and not the most and not the best. And because of that, I have certain feelings that aren't healthy and aren't the best either. But I could see that if I had a, and, and, and I guess when I, when I said before that I try to change my feelings, you're right. It is me trying to go through and trying to see it in a different way and see it, I would say, in a more eternal way, in a more and more from God's point of view. Yeah. And then hopefully that would change my feelings. So, I, yeah, totally get it. Makes sense. And I think that sometimes, though, we just say, well, of course we can control our feelings because that's the only part that we actually see in it. Mm. And what we don't take the time to really analyze is what is the story that's causing the feeling. Gotcha. And so as you're willing yourself to feel differently, I imagine you naturally do that exercise of trying to like write a more eternally informed or spirit informed story. But being conscious of that mm-hmm. is really powerful. Sure. And I want you to think about, for example, when we talk about our will and pleasure, like we were just saying, you know, we want to align it with Heavenly Fathers. We want to want what he wants. We want to put our own personal spin on it. Well, we have to make sure that the story that we've written brings us that kind of peace, that kind of ability, that kind of desire. And if we haven't written a story that brings that, then we need to go back and check our stories because we know that Heavenly Father said, he has told us that the gospel will bring you joy. It will bring you peace. And so sometimes in the crappiest of stimuli, we can still find peace that surpasseth all understanding. How is that possible? Sure. It's all about how we see it. Right? Right. And so I think that we spend a lot of time thinking about how we feel about stuff. And we don't spend as much time really checking our story about that thing. And so I'm going to give you a couple of kind of ugly examples really quickly. You know, people sometimes have beef with certain aspects of church history. Okay. And there are questions that arise about church history based on unfavorable stories that they've heard. And sometimes those stories come from sources that aren't valid. And sometimes they come from sources that are valid. But the problem is that we have this perception of how church history looks in our minds that we're comfortable with, that we've kind of settled into. And when somebody throws something on that, that ruffles it or that's different or that kind of unravels even part of the beautiful story that we've written, it freaks us out. Sure. 
And so we have to figure out, we have to seek more knowledge, more information, but specifically seek the spirit to inform our story so that we can then find peace about that. You know, we, we can't let those stories govern our responses. Mm -hmm. The ugly stories never. We have to dig in to the stories that we and other people have written about church history. And remember that they are just that. They are stories. They are interpretations. Mm -hmm. If we want access to exactly what the truth is, because heaven knows we can't go back and hang out with Joseph Smith right now and figure out exactly what was going on in his head and have him describe to our face all of his thoughts on polygamy, for example. Right. We don't have that luxury. So we can't access absolute truth ourselves right now. What we can do is use the spirit to bridge the gap between the story that we've written and the absolute truth. And that's the only way we're going to write an accurate story. That's great. That makes yes. sense. Yes, it does. So I've got, I've got, when you, when you kind of put this all together, there's a story that came to mind that was from the last general conference, um, as in April from, okay. I don't know when we're going to publish this one, but it might be after the October. I don't know. Anyways, the, the, yeah. uh, the April conference. And if you're, I don't remember who, who it was that told the story, but it was the story of a family and I think three daughters, if I remember correctly, and the mother had cancer and she made a temple appointment for a day not normal, like on a Thursday. And then she happened to die on that day in that yes. the early morning, early morning. And yep. then the appointment came up on the phone saying, hey, you've got this temple appointment to go do baptisms. And his first reaction was, I can't do it. I can't, mm -hmm. you know, this, no, it, it's not, it's not going to happen. And then how the person told the story, the story, his, his way of seeing it changed. It was yeah. no, she would want us to be in no other place than the temple. Yeah. His story completely changed and his feelings changed and his response changed and they went and had a wonderful time. Yes. I think I think that was a, that's the story that came to me as, as an example of exactly what you're saying. Amazing. I love that. I remember that story and yes, absolutely. And so like, think about really quickly, one of the ways, like his temptation was to not go. Right. Like she made the appointment, she passed away too much grief. Right. Right. One of the windows into our inaccurate stories is how we're acting or how we're tempted to act. So for example, we talked about comparison a little bit earlier, right? Mm -hmm. If we find ourselves comparing, that's a window into an inaccurate story. Because we look at this comparison and we're like, well, okay, what's the feeling that this comparison is causing? Well, maybe it's causing pride. Maybe it's causing me to feel worse about myself. Well, what's the story that I'm telling? And likely the story is I need to be something-er. You know, I need to be kinder. I need to be patienter. I need to be, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, it's an er, it's got an er at the end of it. <laughs> and so rewriting that story to be 
a vertical story instead of a horizontal comparison brings different feelings and we're likely responding in a way that is more humble mm. like we're thinking less not of ourselves or less excuse me we're thinking less not less of ourselves but we're thinking less about ourselves like we sure. are able to turn outward that's Uptorf, i think right i don't know yeah so i, I, I get the, it the point of this is that we can use our responses as a window into our inaccurate stories. And so that's part of this idea, you know, if knowledge is under that category of what we see, that's part of how we learn is that we don't do it right. And we look at that and we go, well, wait a minute. Okay, I messed up. And going back and repenting and trying to do the same thing again without writing a different story, that's pretty tough to do. Sure. So part of the exercise of repentance is trying to write a different story. Of course. That, cool. Yeah. So there, there's a quote at the bottom of this that I just love. And it's Stephen Covey. And he says, oh, see, we got it's oh, not coming up. Have, I apologize. Don't worry about it. And he says, if we want to make you can go ahead and just take it down. Okay. If we want to make quantum improvements, we need to work on paradigms. If we want to make minor improvements, work on behavior and attitude. That's great. Mm. But in to make quantum improvements in our lives, we need to work on our paradigms. And I think that that is absolutely applicable when it comes to our gospel understanding and when it comes to trying to become more like our savior. And so I mentioned there are three ways in which I think this really can apply to our teaching. And I wrote them down because I wanted to make sure I covered all three. So okay. the first one is that it, it helps us to check ourselves. I think that sometimes as we're teaching, we teach from our story of course we teach from sources of absolute truth and so we need to make sure that we're not you know trying to fit people into our like how we see it because they're different people than we are and so we need to give like my stories are really great for me but like we're trying to help people not join our stories but like write their own story in a way that is informed by the spirit and so giving them space to do that is really really important and you have to check your own in the process of doing mm -hmm. it the second is when you give space it's giving space for other people's stories so as you're teaching there are a couple of things that you may find i get frustrated sometimes when i'm trying to make a really solid point and other people are coming up with different interpretations. And I'm like, why aren't you getting it? You're, you're misunderstanding. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, wait, no, they're not. They are understanding it differently. And so not only are we like, I don't need to force my point on them. Let them have a point that's informed by the spirit that is right for them. Like I want their point. And so it makes us more mm. receptive, more open, more encouraging of dialogue in the classroom. Like we sure. want that because we want to understand their stories. And it also means that we're going to be more inclined to ask for them more frequently. And then the last one is that we need to encourage testing of different principles. So we want to make sure that we're not taking somebody else's understanding as being threatening. Like if they understand mm -hmm. it differently, we don't mm -hmm. need to be by that or feel like, wait a minute, I didn't teach it well enough. Or wait a minute, I, you know, oh, they're, they're wrong. I got to make sure I get it, you know, correct them. When it comes to how we apply principles of the gospel, you got to encourage people to test it in their own life, to bump it up against their own paradigm. 
to bump it up against their own life experience and figure out how they're going to apply whatever that principle is. And so those three things, check yourself, give space for other stories, and then encourage testing of the principles that you teach in the course of that discussion, I think can add a whole new element of um, kind of growth, if you will, to those discussions, like enlightenment, I think is more what it is, because you invite the spirit to inform not just your story, but everybody else's, and we can all learn from each other's stories. So I wonder, Julie, have you ever maybe been teaching one time and that third point where you're checking it, right? Or encouraging testing, you mean? Encourage, sorry, yes, thank you. Encouraging yeah. testing. Have you ever spent like a class time or a discussion time, maybe with family or whomever, and you're and you're just on that piece right there? And I because I could see that could that could go on for hours, to tell you oh. the truth. I could see well, that going on forever. So one of the challenges actually, and this is, if I'm being totally honest, is that people love to share experiences sometimes. Mm -hmm. And sometimes experiences take a lot of the yeah. class time yes. and they kind of weave and ebb and flow on and off. Of <laughs> and yeah. so part of what we have to do is be, I think, cautious about how we do this. And I think it comes back to our discussion in a previous episode about questions. Like we're trying to get at people's answers to introspective questions, which means we're bringing new insights. We're not regurgitating old stories. Mm -hmm. And if we're bringing, trying to get people to have new insights, then the conversation looks more like, you know, I just thought mm. in this situation, I could have done this differently. Not look at what I did that was in this other situation that was so great. Or, oh, I wish I would have thought of this when da da da. Or, oh my gosh, I have this coming up or I'm in the middle of this trial and this is how I'm going to look at it differently. So asking introspective questions that help to guide their testing, if you will, in that environment, I think is really important. So maybe there's a gauge there when we're asking questions and, yeah. and if it's a, and if a lot of the answers are the regurgitating or look what I've done, maybe we're asking the wrong questions. Absolutely. Right? Or then, point. but then we're, then if we get the, like you, like you said, if there are insights of people coming up with new insights that they have never thought of before, then we're, then we're onto it and they're challenging their story yeah. and they're challenging, Hey, maybe, maybe I've been looking at this all wrong in the first place. And maybe I needed to rewrite that story. Right. Right. Gotcha. Okay. One of my very favorite conversations, like in class, I've had a few of these where all of a sudden we all kind of start to see something differently based right. on what a person has brought in. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And we start talking differently about the subject. Like, I think we forget that when we're in a classroom, the point is not to preach to the choir. Mm -hmm. The point is to challenge a little bit, not in like a negative way, but to like stretch our thinking, like push us to be yes. better. It's not to preach to the choir and create more sameness. It's to actually learn from the diversity in that classroom, the diversity of experiences, the diversity of thinking. And this is a really important paradigm for us to understand that mm -hmm. other people have their own way of seeing things in order for us to be open to that yeah. and not actually ask questions in a way that encourages preaching to the choir or more sameness or more kind of validation of each other's 
good experiences and what good on you. You responded to that so well. And that's not the point. Right. And I, I would love to sometime explore this with questions at the same time and really think about, all right, how like in a classroom when you are teaching and you see someone react, their response, and you realize, oh, I wonder what their story is to get them to that response. And then, and everyone has a different response, but then start learning about the different stories about it. And then maybe there are insights that can be gained from, okay, that's yours, that's yours. Have you ever thought of that? that person's way oh that's that's completely different and really kind of go off on that i mean that could be absolutely enlightening there i will tell you that i use this language i have taught this in class so that i can use this language gotcha and so i can ask questions like that like what is the story that you've written about this mm. and so we have for example a friend who is homosexual that comes to class and my favorite classes are the ones when he is there and we are having a discussion around something that butts up against our kind of cultural Good. beliefs because everyone in that room checks their story before they speak. We should be doing that all the time. Yeah. Like, and he tells his story and we all want it. We want to hear his experience. You know, we want to know how he thinks on all of these different topics. And I am telling you, this man has the most profound insights on principles of the gospel because his experience with the gospel is so different from mine. Uh -huh. And he's had to apply filters that I'm not familiar with to help him have peace about staying in it. Wow. And it's powerful. I bet. I love that. Wow. So... That just made me think, okay, you said you teach this in your class. Yeah. I think it might just be beneficial if if I'm a an eldest quorum teacher, Sunday school teacher, whatever, to kind of, maybe not even kind of, but just straight up do the same thing and say, listen, we need to look at it this way so you can use the same language so you can, so that everyone can recognize that, oh, I re responded in that way because of hmm, the story. Well, what's the story? Well, let's learn from the story. Right. So mm. sometimes do you hear people make comments and in your mind, you're like, well, that was judgy. And I mean, honestly, <laughs> yeah. I, I would have, and, okay, good, you know, <laughs> I, I've sat there and thought that before in my life. And I, that's so rude. It's so rude. And here I am judging them for judging. I mean, right. hello, like a vicious cycle. It's terrible. And I, I think that that's part of what we need to like, hold ourselves accountable for, and you have to teach the paradigm in order to be able to hold the whole class accountable. Sure. Or that, does yeah. that make sense? I just think it's really valuable. And actually, like you said, teach it, teach it straight up. If mm -hmm. this is something you're teaching, you are developing a relationship with the people in your class. This is a great way to kind of start or at whatever point you're at, introduce it to give you permission to use the language to push you yourself and everyone else to check their stories as you discuss. Right. And as we get to learn other people's stories, we can have a lot more compassion for that and not be, like you said, so judgy. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I've been teaching a class or have been teaching my kids and they say something. I'm like, well, 
you've got a long ways to go there, mister. <laughs> We're terrible. We're terrible. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, that would be a great thing to take into the class. Um, we need, can we make these, um, the PowerPoint thing available to everyone? Yeah, Is that some, we'll, we'll make it, we'll put it in show notes or in the notes of the, of the episode as well. Good. I love that. Thank you. That I'm going to be thinking about that for a long time and, and, uh, and just not even during teaching. I'm going to be thinking about that as I respond to something. I'll like, what's my story? What's my story? Right. Right. I mean, telling you, Kevin, I've been thinking about this for years and I'm still coming to understand it better. So sure. Wow. Yeah. Good. Any last words of wisdom you want to add to this whole thing? No, I just would love to hear people's experience as they start to kind of uh, like maybe teach this in their classes. I would really love to hear about that. And my challenge would be to actually, I would invite you. I'm going to, I don't need, even need to use that word because we know you don't need to say that. <laughs> <laughs> but I would really encourage people in all like legitimate honesty to think about what is a behavior in your life that you know is not how you want to be and then run it backwards through the model check mm. your story figure out what the feeling is that is kind of leading to that behavior and what the story is that's causing the feeling and go through the whole process because i think sometimes we jump to just oh i got to check my story and we skip the feeling part there's power in examining the feeling that you have about your story before you examine the story and part of that is really quite frankly, just therapeutic as well to sure. label put a label mm -hmm. on the feeling that you're having before you go and examine the story. I could see maybe a teacher who isn't excited about teaching mm -hmm. who oh, I've got to go teach these kids again, or I've got to go teach this group and I don't want to right. because of so many different reasons. It could be personal reasons. It could be uh, the group They're dynamics probably, or yeah, yeah, whatever. Right, right. And if we run it backwards through this, we may find what story is actually making me feel that way and responding to that way. And probably because of the feeling, I'm probably not preparing in the best way because I really don't want to do this in the first place. So maybe yeah. an antidote to preparing better is actually by checking your story and maybe rewriting that so that you have the desire to prepare and teach better. Excellent. I mean, what you're mm. talking about is the story that causes now a desire. That's the right. feeling, right? So find a story. Sometimes just in, this is a really hard thing. As you start to do this, you're going to say, well, they just keep reinforcing my story with their behavior. Like say it's a class that's rowdy. <laughs> well, every time I go, they still reinforce their story with their behavior or my right. story with their right and we let ourselves off the hook saying you know people have to give us a reason to write a new story false that's not true do not let yourself off the hook you need to ask to see it differently and i'm talking about ask heavenly father to see it differently right like this is spiritual work this is not mental work oh this is so good thank you i'm going to be thinking about this for a long time Yay. we're going to have many more conversations about this julie now I like it. Whether you want to or not. I'm sorry. It's going to happen. Oh, I always want to. Good. Always. Okay. We'll talk about this more. Good. As always, if you would, please um, subscribe, share, uh, ring the bell. I don't know. All those other things. <laughs>
whatever platform you're listening to or watching this on, if you would share this with others as well, because we would love to hear your comments. We'd love to hear their comments of how maybe they went through this whole cycle and and learn some things about themselves and learn how to teach better because of what Julie shared today. So please do. Thanks for watching, listening, everybody. Take care. Until next time. Bye.